The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Jesus said to the disciples, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him. For your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. It was an experience, a feeling I will never forget. Returning home from a hospital visit when I was a parish pastor, I was thought I was driving at a respectable speed on a rural two-lane road. Conditions were fairly normal, dry roads, overcast sky, no precipitation. There were no other vehicles in sight, so I trundled along in my 1973 Volkswagen like any law-abiding Lutheran minister. And suddenly, without warning or any evidence whatsoever of surveillance, I see in my rearview mirror the dreaded vision for drivers of every age. Flashing lights. Blue. Red. Flashing. Headlights on and off. It's sinister. I realize that sinking feeling within me. I was younger then. Now it would likely be cause for me to have to return home 
change my trousers. It's a terrible feeling. The voice of the law approaching from behind. A reminder of my sin. You know the feeling? It's terrible. It's a terrible feeling. Jesus Garcia captures it well in the bulletin cover. It's mortifying. You know, it got worse from that point on. Being a compliant, upright sort of dude, I remember on this occasion being pulled over and waiting for what seemed like 40 days and 40 nights for that dude to get out of the car, approach the side of my vehicle, pulled over, waited. Several cars began to drive by. They looked inside to see, who is this? Who is this guy driving this Volkswagen whom the police are apprehending? This menace. A Lester of some kind. By that time, so many cars are driven by, the police must have captured a most wanted person. I wanted to say, hey, I'm a Lutheran minister. I'm, I'm coming from a hospital call, visiting the sick. No one cared. The stairs kept coming. One woman shook her head at me. Like this disgusting person in the car. I'm glad the police have you. It got worse when the guy who owned the hardware store in the nearby town drove by. I could see him literally moving up and down with laughter in his car as he perused at me and laughed and shook his finger. The Germans have a word for this. They call it Schadenfreude. It's the joy at another person's suffering. The trooper asked me, do you know why I pulled you over? I was tempted to tell him that I did have an overdue library book in my back seat, but I think the Holy Spirit for once intervened and I kept my smart-alecky mouth shut. As though I committed a homicide, he stared at me and indicated I was traveling 61 miles an hour in a 55-mile-an-hour zone. I was going to say, well, saints preserve us. Again, the Holy Spirit intervened. He returned to his car with my hands, by the way, at their 10 and 2 o'clock position, having provided all the appropriate documentation. And I waited that morning, it seems, until about sunset before he returned and told me I had to pay him money or appear in court. I don't have any money. I'm headed for court. Well, you know the feeling. Whatever it is that flashes in your rearview mirror is the voice of the law that captures you in your imperfection, whatever it may be in your life. Perhaps it was a time in your own memory when you had your hand swatted by your mother when you reached in the cookie jar before supper. Whatever it is, I knew that that police officer approaching my car knew that Glenn Nelson and I stole two pieces of bubble gum from Barnes Grocery in 1956. I knew he had that in his documentation. Dr. Gerhard Ferdy, one of my most revered professors, shared with us that that flashing image in the rearview mirror, the voice of the law in your life, has two functions. The first function is what theologians have called since the time of Augustine the civil use of the law. It is simply the requirement to keep order in a fallen world. It is the requirement for automobiles that look like that one that is pictured on the bulletin with flashing lights and so forth to keep order. What if there were no agency to keep order? It might even be more hazardous to drive to Austin on I-35, perhaps not. But you know we are required to be restrained in our nature. St. Augustine said we are captivated by what he identified as original sin. Not just what we do, but the way we are. We are sinful by nature. And if you remember, published in 1958, a red service book and hymnal of the Lutheran Church, 
that in his prayer of confession on page 247, I remember it word for word, that said, Lord, I am an unworthy sinner and deserve only thy wrath and condemnation. That's what I was told when I was little. The voice of the law has been flashed in my rearview mirror a long time. The civil use of the law constrains that nature within us. The second use of the law is what Augustine also called the spiritual use. Some call it religious. Whatever it is, it is the demonstration of our need for redemption. That in and of myself and my own original sin and the nature of my being, I need to be redeemed. And it is only through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we find our redemption as Christian persons. Redeemed in Christ, not by my own perfection in the law, not by my own deeds, but by the grace of Christ. I have no idea, again, what flashes in your rearview mirror. I don't want to know, unless you want to share, but not now. What is that flashes for you? What is it that reminds you of your imperfection? Because every one of us is encumbered, burdened by our own sinful nature in a fallen world. It is my view that the greatest contribution we, as a Lutheran community, have what we make to all of Christendom, perhaps the entire world, is that emphasis in the Holy Scriptures of saved by grace through faith, and this is not my own doing. As Paul said, lest anyone come to boast. But I am saved by grace. I am subject as anyone else to the flashing lights of my own sin. But I find redemption not in my perfection, not in keeping the law so perfectly, but in the grace of Christ who redeems me. I think there are ways I see that voice of the law so often. It was beautifully distinguished, I think, last week when Pastor Leslie said there are things we do in life, good works to care for and love our neighbor and creation, things we don't have to do by threat of hell, but we get to do out of gratitude for the redemption that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It was evident to me on Friday, on Valentine's Day, I had to go to Costco, I stood in line to check out my stuff, and there was a group of dudes in front of me, all of whom held flowers in their hands, a bunch of dudes, young guys, old guys, and I heard them talking to one another. They all were saying the same thing. You don't dare go home today without some flowers. You have to have some flowers. You better have some flowers. What kind of romantic uh, stimulation is that? Fill a square, check it, give it to your partner, done. Oh my goodness. What, would, what if the great state of Texas required by law that you have to kiss your partner, your life's partner, on Valentine's Day or your marriage is not valid? <laughs> would that be a stimulation really to intimacy, to reconciliation? So also in my view, spiritually, it is not very compelling nor a comfort to conscience in our last hours of life if my religion is a checklist of my good deeds, for I will fail miserably. If I look to my obedience and adherence to the law, my avoidance of the flashing light in the rearview mirror, I will, it will give me scant comfort as I face eternity. Isaac Viegas, a Mennonite pastor and a great Bible scholar, wrote in the journal Homiletics in, in this season, January of 2017, he said that view, that religion as law, religion as keeping rules, makes God a kind of cosmic cash register. That amused me. And morality is a form of economics. Ethics 
becomes a kind of capitalism and we pay God with good deeds and justice, with right thinking and correct beliefs, and morality is like a currency that we cash in at the time of our death. It's absurd, but that's the way a lot of people view religion, as a threat, as a stick, as flashing lights in your rearview mirror. I better do better so I get into heaven. It becomes then like manipulating God. I do this, and then God is gonna give me something good. God is going to remunerate me for what I'm asking. It might be noble stuff even that we ask for. And we do our church attendance and we give to the poor and so forth. That, according to Isaac Villegas, a great Mennonite pastor, said that is like idolatry. Then I am really authoring my own salvation with the currency of my good, de good deeds and good works. The Sermon on the Mount addresses that very thing. What we have studied in these weeks of Epiphany, Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew these very distinctions of salvation and rules. Jesus did his earthly ministry in a time when rules really were the religion of the people, especially the religious leaders. The pastors were rule keepers, and rules were everything. Even if you heal the sick or raise the dead, if it's on the Sabbath, you broke a rule. If you're starving and you harvest something to eat on the Sabbath, you broke a rule. The rules are all that counted. In reaction to the elevation of the threat over promise, Jesus recalls for his listeners the extreme righteousness of the Pharisees and takes it to another level. And in what we read today in that gospel, to me, as though Jesus says, you want law, I'll give you law. And in so doing, I will show you your imperfection. You have heard it said of old that you shall not commit murder. But I say, if you even insult your brother or sister, you'll be guilty. Can't keep that. You have heard it said of old that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you even look lustfully at another, you have already committed adultery. You have heard it said of old that you shall not swear. That is, take an oath. But I say to you, you shall never swear by anything, not by the Lord's name, not by Jerusalem, not even by your own head, for who can even stimulate the growth of a single hair by swearing? I would know that. Today's gospel for me is the most brilliant articulation of the distinction between law and grace. You want law, you'll fail. It drives us, that second use of the law, to our redemption in Christ Jesus. And before closing, I cannot help but speak to that vivid distinction that's in the lesson from Deuteronomy today, where it says, I put before you life and prosperity versus death and adversity. And these paradigms seem completely legal, what philosophers would call a syllogism, if then. But hear it again, it says, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, walking in God's ways, then you shall live and become numerous. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear or let astray to bow down to other gods, you shall perish. It seems very legalistic. But look carefully at what the Lord is saying. It was true then and it still is. God's grace is not irresistible. You can resist and turn away from God's grace. Yes, in the same way, you know, I could change my name from Stendhal to Buffett, that would not change that I am still Carl and Judy's boy from St. Paul. It would not change my balance sheet to look like Warren Buffett. 
I can turn away from my heritage, change my name, but it doesn't change whose I am. And who among us as parents has not firmly grasped, I remember grasping my little boys and holding them against running in a parking lot or in an urban area across the street when they were little because they didn't know the threat that might be out there to hurt them or even kill them. So also does the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob say to those children of Israel, please watch out. Watch out for the dangers of other gods. Watch out for following ways that will separate you from the steadfast love that I give to you this day. So I set before you life and salvation. Choose life. Choose life like a loving mother or father who grabs a child by the arm and draws them back. So is that function of the law. <laughs> Whatever it is that flashes in your rearview mirror, it draws us back. It draws us back to the grace that saves us. So come, come to the Lord's table. Come, choose life that you and your children may live always and forever. Amen.